You've seen those movies where they say, make my day, or I'm your worst nightmare. Well, listen to this one. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. Ha! You didn't know I'm gonna say that, did you? Your move, creep. everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Film Feast podcast. I am your host, Matt Bledsoe. Uh, this week, we are talking about The Mask of Zorro from 1998. Uh, to help me talk about it, I am joined by the host of the Cobwebs podcast and just one of my favorite people to talk movies with. It's Daniel Epler. Daniel, how you doing? Hey, Matt. Oh, I'm doing really good. Thank you very much for having me. I, I am just a little disappointed because I forgot that podcasting is just an audio format, and I, I carved a whole Z into the wall behind me, and I set it on fire. And I was so hyped for what your listeners would think. And then I remembered, oh, shit, there's no video for this. So, <laughs> you know, my house is burning down for nothing, but I think it'll be OK. We can it's still a, do the pod. Unfortunately, not a YouTube based podcast. But, you know, if we can uh, we can switch for this, I hope the fire takes a long time before the episode's over. You don't uh, abandon your. <laughs> oh, I think so. I wouldn't. Yeah, it's a it. slow moving fire. It'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, what you should really do is go out back and just do a large Z like in the backyard set that on fire. Then. People oh, can... <laughs> man. OK, we, we need to do a pod on the legend of Zorro and then I can do that. OK, I'm going to ask you about that later. But yeah, so um, <laughs> we're talking Mask of Zorro. I'm very excited. Uh, this is a very fun movie that I know you are, uh, I'll say, very fond of. Uh, so <laughs> I know you're excited to talk about it. Um, so, yeah, before we get into that, though, I feel there's a lot of stuff to talk about that we've that, that people have seen or we've seen that people but we've seen lately. <laughs> um, so before we get to Mask of Zorro, uh, I always have to ask, what have you what have you seen lately? What have you watched? that has been good or bad either way. <laughs> Well, I know we both watched a pretty, a fa- you know, a fairly big new release. Do you want to, me to like end with that? Do you want to just jump into it? We can just jump into it. It's fine. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. So Friday night, very excited, very excited for the fact that I got to go see Dr. Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. I'm partially just excited because it's always a fun date night for my wife and I when a new Marvel movie comes out. We always get really hyped for them. And uh, and it's a new Sam Raimi movie. So uh, I went in with high expectations and uh, and and lots of hope. And, you know, I didn't really like it. Um, I, I know Mar- I, I'm generally a Marvel defender. Uh, like they released four movies last year and I really liked three of the four. Um, I'm, I'm generally pretty favorable on them. And, uh, and I thought this one was pretty bad. Um, I don't think it's Sam Raimi's fault, but I, I just feel like it's less of a movie and much more just a collection of fan service. And I enjoyed the Sam Raimi fan service and it's there. Like he's definitely playing to his fan base at certain times and making very direct references to his movies. And that stuff is very fun to see in a Marvel film. Um, I didn't enjoy the like kind of Marvel internet nerd fan service. There's stuff that's just really directly playing to like Reddit threads. And I, I felt like this was what Spider-Man No Way Home brilliantly avoided being, you know, like Spider-Man No Way Home has opening night clapping moments and like cameos and stuff, but it treats those cameos like characters. 
with emotional stakes and arcs. And I was really impressed by how Spider-Man No Way Home pulled that off. And this movie is really just a cameo fest of, of kind of meaningless stuff. I mean, there's one character that, that I've been dying to see in the MCU for a long time. And that person is finally here and nothing is done with that person. The performance has no charisma whatsoever. He has nothing interesting to do. And it's just completely flat. And I thought it was a really wasted debut for a highly anticipated character. And I know you don't want to get into spoilers, so don't sweat. I'll, I'll tread lightly. <laughs> but there is a character in this movie um, that I thought had really beautiful character development in a Marvel Disney Plus show. And that character development is completely thrown in the garbage for this movie. And it's this person is a completely different character with no warning or any build up to it. Um, and it was very disappointing for uh, disappointing for me because I've invested in that character for a long time and and I it was just kind of a spit in the face and I was really bummed. And I, I want to know your thoughts on this and I'll close with this. I think Doctor Strange is a really boring lead character. Like I think he's a really good supporting character and I love him in Infinity War and I liked him in No Way Home. And I think he has an interesting origin story, which I think was the main reason that the first movie worked. But he's he's kind of a nothing in this movie. There's no arc. There's he because he barely affects the plot. He just kind of floats through it. And I I don't I don't care for him. So I didn't really like this movie. I thought it was actually one of the poorer MCU films that they've ever done. Interesting. Okay. So I know just from our like letterbox reigns, I liked it a little more than you. Although I was talking to our friends Hayden and Mark, and I felt like I came to the movie and I was like, yeah, that was pretty good. I didn't think it was great, but I thought it was pretty good. And I felt like I slept on it. And then I was like, wait, <laughs> I think the movie had some problems. <laughs> like when things start to, you, you have to turn things over in your mind and you're like, wait a minute, hang on. And um, I, I kind of waffled a little bit. And I, then I kind of thought more about it. And I was like, am I being too critical? I don't know. You know, like I'm kind of, I'm kind of a weird spot with the movie because I don't really know how I feel about it. I, guess, I think I definitely liked it better than you because, um, to your point about Doctor Strange, I I do like him as a as a character. Although it feels like he's not even he he is and he isn't the main character in this movie. There's there's two other characters that I would say also have arcs that are probably more <laughs> interesting than him. Uh, he's almost like a passenger. I feel like along for the ride, especially with um, yeah. There's. I mean, she's in the, I, see, I don't know what's in the trailers, what's not in the trailer. See, I don't want to say anything, but um, we try to talk spoiler free, but um, it's a character near America Chavez that I feel like I liked her and I think she's more kind of interesting and likable than Doctor Strange. And I felt like she was just a human MacGuffin. Like she was just kind I of I did see her as described well. as human MacGuffin. Yeah. But I, I think the actress playing her charmed me enough that. I was okay with it. Like, I see, I see that point completely. And you're right, honestly, but I was like, you know what? She seems like she's having fun and I, I, she's charming enough. Um, maybe they didn't do her the best service in the script, but I felt like she played it with, with enough where I'm like, I like you, but you're kind of a human MacGuffin. I, so I see the point. And then there, oh boy, it's so hard to talk around all this, but um, here's a question. I want to know this. Did you know who the main villain was going into the movie? Because no. I was surprised. <laughs> and it's funny because I never even thought about it because like villains are so ineffectual in the MCU. Yes. And I feel like like the MCU has historically done so well, so well with their heroes and pretty poorly with their villains. And now they've gotten to a point where 
if they're going to have interesting villains, they kind of only have one choice and they make that choice in this movie. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Cause I was surprised sitting down for it. I was like, Oh, that's what we're doing. Didn't expect it. Um, was a little taken aback by the whole thing. I know there's a, there's a tease in a Marvel show, <laughs> which is that's the other thing. Oh my God. There's so much prep work to do now. And yeah, this will... is the first movie that definitively says you will not understand these movies if you don't watch the Disney plus shows. And right. I'm like, Oh right. no. Cause I like, I've finished two <laughs> of those shows. So it's my, my girlfriend was going to go with me and my friends on Friday and she ended up not being able to go. She knows what's going on. And I said, thank God you didn't go because she has not watched a bunch of the Marvel movies has not watched any of the Disney plus shows. I said, I would have sit there and fill you in like the whole time. <laughs> and she's like, Oh good. Cause I didn't want to be completely lost. I was wondering if she didn't go. She was like, she, I don't want to be completely lost on what's going on. And I was like, you would have, because there's no, I, I mean, maybe you could have got something, but it's like you were lost in so many key points of what's happening. Um, I don't, it's, I don't know. And it's like, it's funny because the fan service thing, I feel you probably, maybe you've seen or haven't seen online that there's still people who think there wasn't enough fan service. So okay, it's like <laughs> you can't you can't. Please. It's because Morbius isn't in it. If Morbius right. was in this movie, everyone would be happy. Ten out of ten. <laughs> it's all they wanted was Morbius, and they didn't deliver. Sorry, spoilers. Small, small there's small no spoiler. Morbius. There's no Morbius. <laughs> Someone's like, thank I God. I need to see it again. Oh, maybe sure. he's in the background. But <laughs> they, it's weird. It's like a. It's like a. This movie feels like they've gotten themselves in a corner where it's like, damned if you do, damned if you don't, because it's. You could have gone all out with fan service and had every, not every, but tons of characters show up from every dimension and people would have been like, yeah, I love this. But then people would have criticized her being like a cameo show, clip show, which people are already criticizing it for. So, and then well, if you go the other way, you don't deliver enough, then people are disappointed. Like I've seen online. <laughs> yeah. Well, also <laughs> I, even though like it's not cameos, it's not fan service. I know we both recently saw Everything Everywhere all at once, yes, which yes. does a way better job at exploring the possibilities of so many dimensions and universes. And this movie's just like, oh, here's three universes and they're, you know, <laughs> one's basically Inception and the other has pizza bowls. And that's kind yeah. of it. Like, what if the red lights meant go and the green <laughs> lights meant stop? I'm like, if that's the most creative thing you come up with for an inf for infinite multiverses and that's what you come up with, it's yeah. kind of frustrating because... Um, I was thinking that did make me kind of upset because I'm like, oh my God, it's so like, so it's either you either pick, I think, take this crazy trip to the multiverse and meet all these characters and see all these different dimensions and, you know, all these different things, or you do what I think they chose more to do, which was like, we're going to focus on these few characters and their arcs and just do that. And we're not going to take a crazy trip <laughs> through all these alternate universes, which is kind of what I wanted in a way. I don't know. I'm so I'm so conflicted about this movie now that we've been talking about it. I'm I don't know. And um, oh, what was he saying before? Let you talk. Uh, uh, I can't remember. I I'm just I. The more I talk about it and think about it, I think the less I'm gonna like it. <laughs> you know. But mm -hmm. um, when I left, I was like, that was pretty good. I had fun. Like you know, and who can argue with fun? But it's well, but see, I, I didn't have fun. I was mostly okay. bored. Okay, <laughs> that's understandable. Understandable. I uh. I'm trying to, th and I, I'm trying to think. I was happy they brought Rachel McAdams back, but then I thought She's again. Wearing a terrible looking wig, so she looks silly through the whole movie. <laughs> I, I'm so bad at picking out wigs. I didn't even notice. I honestly, was <laughs> I like, was sitting there for a minute. I was like, why does she look a million times better in Game Night? And then I thought, oh, this is a stupid looking wig. That's why. <laughs> they kind of don't 
they think they're giving her stuff to do, but I don't think they really are giving her stuff to do. Honestly, it's like, she's here, but you know, um, there, there's a whole section that is like the fan service section of the movie. Oh, it's the worst thing ever because literally like a character looks into the camera and is like, and now this person from the comics and now quick description, this name from the comics. And I'm like, and here's this fan casting that people have been yelling about on Twitter for years for some reason. Oh my God. And here's the X-Men animated series theme song. Okay. That I was very excited about. (laughs) Listen, that was, I I wasn't upset about that. I was just like, Oh, okay. I know that was probably the most exciting part and the most subtle part of what you just said, because they just played (laughs) a little, they queued it up a little bit. And, um, uh, I thought the score was good. It was Danny Elfman's score. I remember thinking very, I was a good score, uh, trying to be positive. (laughs) Um, I, oh boy. Um, I'm trying to think of more positive things. I've like been so well. Uh, think, yeah, <laughs> I give it two and a half stars on Letterbox, and really the big reason for being for it being that high is I really enjoyed the direct Sam Raimi fan service in the third act. Okay, yes, really yeah. like I was cackling with glee. Like I loved that. <laughs> I like I think the script is terrible. I think the effects are like is it okay? Is it me or are the special effects in Marvel movies getting progressively worse? I thought the same I thing. Really think they used to look. It looks yeah. like like no offense to your boy. But it looks like a 2000s Robert Rodriguez movie with like Listen, the green screen. No offense taken. Those look terrible. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm so glad he's getting away from that. I think he's getting away from that because I don't know what he was doing. I'm like, you can't just put him a green screen, Robert. It looks, not looks great. Um, and uh, yeah, I did think, especially near the beginning, I feel like there's oh, some it's stuff. so bad. It looks silly that humans are like live action people are walking around in it. I'm like, you should just make this animated at this point. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I kind of had the same thought. I thought it was pretty bad. I was like, how is CGI getting worse when they have better resources and more money? Um, very weird. I agree. Um, I, we, I didn't talk about the raminess of it. So this was a big debate online was like, uh, <laughs> is it like, is it a good Sam Raimi movie? Is it, um, did they, it, people enjoyed the Sam Raimi-ness of it all? I did. And it's funny because I went in expecting most of the Sam Raimi stuff to be kind of beaten out of the movie. So more of it survived than I expected. But I talked mm-hmm. to other people who said anything that felt like his movie hardly at all, besides a few touches well, not here. The script, but there's some visual stuff. Oh, the visual stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some people didn't like his movie at all. Um, there's some tr- like truly like, especially near the end. There's some real Sam Raimi type stuff, and um, some of the horror ish sequence. That's a, people are like, oh, this is the first horror movie in the MCU. I'm like, it's a bit of a stretch. I mean, it has, I think it has horror <laughs> elements. Wouldn't you agree? Like, I yeah, think- I, it has more horror elements than I expected, honestly, but still I don't really like it when superhero movies try to be other genres. Like I really think superhero movies should just be superhero movies because whenever they try to be a different genre, it's just like a watered down version of that genre. And I'm like, well, why wouldn't I just watch a horror movie? Or like, why wouldn't I just watch a Western? It's better than this. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I appreciated the, the Raimi aspects that I could see. I'm like, I see him coming through in this way more than I, than I thought I would. Um, and I just hope now that he made this move upon make, you know, tons and tons of money. So he can go make some smaller budget, like 40, $30 million, like a James Wan malignant scenario where it's like, he makes Aquaman gets to make malignants. Maybe someone will give Sam Raimi money to go make a crazy. That would be amazing. Movie. I would love that. Um, if he wants to be back. I mean, I don't know Like he took like a long break. So um, I haven't read if he wants to keep, he wants to go back taking a break or he wants to keep making movies. But um, I was like, he's still got it. He's still got enough of it that he got through. It's hard to break through the MCU machine, I feel like as a director. So 
when I can it seems like it is. Yeah. When I can see elements of them, I'm like, okay, cool. You got some stuff in here, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, and it's, it's first and foremost, it's MCU movie. It's definitely not a Sam Raimi, yeah, a Raimi movie first. It's a MCU movie first. Then it's a Sam Raimi movie at the end of the day, because yeah. there's only so much you can do to, <laughs> to, to get your style into the MCU uh, machine at this point. So um, yeah. I don't know. They, they also tease something in the mid credits scene that I'm like, huh? <laughs> and I don't. Oh, the mid credit scenes are getting so bad. Like, <laughs> if they're not willing to put any effort into them, then don't do them. Just don't do them. This one did feel particularly kind of lazy and. Like, my not... wife and I laughed at it. We were like, really? What is this? Oh. But then there's a great a second end credit scene that, that was one's great. That was great. It made me genuinely laugh. And it wasn't because it looked bad. <laughs> Stephanie just... said after that, she said that was the best part of the movie. Oh, wow. The second end credit scene. <laughs> Well, Steph's pretty cool. Uh, so <laughs> I don't think anyone's got it around me. I, I feel like nobody knew who that actor was. It, I'm people know what I'm talking about if they know, but like that, that actor's connection to Sam Raimi. But also, I love what he does in the scene of the movie because I'm like, that's so Sam Raimi direct to that Evil actor. Dead 2 reference. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, I loved it. Like, me and my one friend got it. And I feel like nobody else got it. We had a also, I had a <laughs> horrible crowd. I had a uh, it was full um full house and it was like they were like non-stop talking uh nobody seemed to understand what was happening <laughs> they were like going a little too crazy on the cameos and i was missing lines they uh for some reason this like group of girls right behind us thought the word illuminati was like the funniest they ever heard in their life and they kept laughing every i did time. kind of too because the guy <laughs> super dramatically walks out and he's like i'm from the Illuminati, and it was so doofy that I laughed. <laughs> I don't. I just. I don't know. I. I didn't get it. And they like maybe the first time, but then they kept saying it, and the girls were like Haha, cackling, like losing their minds, <laughs> like it's the funniest word they've ever heard in their lives. Um, I, I just thought it was so weird. I, so it was like not a fun experience. I was like, I don't think I like seeing movies with giant crowds anymore. Either. Dude, I had the same experience actually, because <sighs> this is the second time since the pandemic that I have been in a big crowd. One was Spider-Man No Way Home. And the second time was this. And I like never noticed the crowd with Spider-Man No Way Home because I was so into the movie. Yeah, yeah. But sitting there bored during this movie, I, I kept focusing on like crinkling popcorn bags around me and people making noises and like going, people, we, loud people behind me going like, oh my God, to things. <laughs> and I, I, they were driving me nuts. It was, yeah, it was not. I think, yeah, it does help when you're bored of the movie because I the Spider-Man No Way Home stuff, I was like right there with everybody. But this stuff, I was not as not quite as into yeah. and uh i just thought there weren't really that many surprises honestly and it was just not the, like the cameo stuff like, it wasn't super surprising and it just wasn't i don't something was missing I, but when it was over even i was like pretty good i was like something was really it almost felt off with that movie and i i cannot put my finger on you're probably saying it better than i am because i think you probably nailed what's wrong with it but even i'm like it's pretty good but something feels off and i don't i don't know what um I don't know. It might have been like them trying to do too much and or Sam Raimi trying to get stuff in and battling against MCU, like the Marvel machine. And it didn't work. I don't know. But um, it's funny because I'm so super excited for Thor in like July. <laughs> like, that movie is going to be like so wholesome and delightful. I'm very excited I, too. <laughs> I sure hope so. I sure hope so. Because I was pretty excited for this. And like, um, I, I mean, I didn't hate it at all. I just, you know, I, I don't know. I enjoyed the Raimi elements. I enjoyed... Other stuff. Oh, before we stop talking about it, uh, a special request from our friend Hayden. If we can remember the lyrics to a certain <laughs> song, 
about ice cream. It's the MCU's <laughs> first musical. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a short musical number. Um, the build up to that song is hilarious because it's so built up, and that's the song that's sung. And I'm like, that's that's what they built up. And it's, I feel bad because like, I'm making fun of basically children. But I was like, this is we laughed out loud at that. But part. has any I, child ever done that in the history of the world? I don't know. Especially, I thought those they were a little old to be doing that it was like i think they're too cool to do that at this point they're probably like <laughs> um but yeah what is uh wait how does it go it's like we want ice cream <laughs> i only know the lyrics because of hayden's letterbox yeah. review <laughs> i think hey does want, want us to go do the whole like, bit where we it's are like, ice cream we are good boys give us ice cream <laughs> we are ice cream we are good what the f- yeah that was weird that was too <laughs> Uh, oh boy i don't know I, the more- I just i just want to say to everybody like if you're going into this excited for a sam raimi movie just remember this is the movie that scott derrickson deemed not good enough for him and walked out on <laughs> and scott derrickson may deliver us from evil so yeah just keep that in mind <laughs> just think about it um yeah i don't know i think the more i sit with this movie the more it's gonna kind of going to be like fruit in the sun it's going to start to rot i feel like yeah i think that's going to happen for a lot of people because i i you know i don't want to analyze why anybody loves a movie like sometimes you just love a movie but i think there's a lot of affection right now for sam raimi as a person partially fueled by spider-man no way home and everybody remembering oh yeah those sam raimi spider-man movies are freaking amazing um and i i do think after that kind of fades people are going to be like oh yeah this movie is not very good but i still love <laughs> sam raimi he's a wonderful man oh yeah I, I don't he's he's innocent in this the sam raimi always innocent uh and i i do hope he gets to go do something else now that's like some crazy you know project you know <laughs> like uh like another drag me to hell type thing which i think yeah. he made right after spider-man 3 so um yeah i don't know we'll we'll see but uh i don't know it's interesting i uh I, I don't think anything else to wrap up on Dr. Strange, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's kind Without of a mess. Spoilers. Right? We probably sent enough. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's it kind of a mess, but you know, oh, well anyway. So what else have you seen? Okay. So I, you know, I want to say to listeners, like I'm not going to be grouchy again for the rest of this podcast. <laughs> I'm here to celebrate movies. And um, I did watch some other 1990s uh, swashbucklers leading up to this that I hadn't seen yet. And the first one I watched was one of the most notorious bombs in the history of cinema, which is Cutthroat Island, Rennie Harlan's pirate movie starring Gina Davis. And even though I knew it was a bomb, I was excited to watch it because it's a pirate movie and I love pirates in general. And uh, on one hand, I don't understand why this bombed because it is really, really entertaining. But on the other hand, I kind of do because it looks unbelievably expensive. Like (laughs) it looks way more expensive than like anyone should have deemed like anyone should have put into a swashbuckler. Uh, But I love that they did it um, because it is absolutely packed with massive sets. Like everything is practical. Everything is built. All these incredible sets, these incredible costumes. It looks amazing. And the action sequences are enormous. Like I couldn't believe for a pirate swashbuckler, it has these just gigantic action set pieces and, and they're all practical. So they look phenomenal. Um, I really, really enjoyed the movie. It's probably the only performance I've ever seen from Gina Davis. That's like not great. She's a weird choice for a pirate captain because she's, you know, very American. It's kind of a Kevin Costner and Robin Hood kind of situation, but she's given it her all. She's like really, really fun in it. Um, but maybe my favorite cast member in the movie is Frank Langella. He is the pirate captain villain. His name is Dog. 
and <laughs> he is literally like the most badass pirate I've ever seen in a movie. Like I couldn't believe what a hard ass, awesome villain Frank Langella is in this. So I highly recommend Cutthroat Island. It's very much just like a straight up pirate swashbuckler, but it's way more expensive than you would expect. And uh, I think it's a great time. You know, what's so funny. I saw you watch this on their box. I actually kind of meant to watch it too, because it kind of fit into what we were doing. And I'm, uh, there's, I, 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 I kind of tease it. There's like a little bit of a, an episode coming up. It's kind of a secret project, but, uh, Rennie Harlan is somehow involved in that. I, and I like Rennie oh, Harlan awesome. and, uh, I'm not seeing Cutthroat Island. It's a notorious bomb. So bad that I think it bankrupt, it bankrupt the studio. It uh, did. Yeah. Uh, Carlo, 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 I can never pronounce his name. Uh, and it, I'm so sad because, uh, it did it. I think it says a hundred million dollars, but I think they went way over budget. I think it's more than a hundred million dollars. And they put so much money in this thing. They were bankrupt because they went bankrupt. They couldn't fund this uh, Paul Verhoeven Schwarzenegger crusade movie. They were going to make. Oh, this is the movie that stopped. <laughs> this that. is the movie that stopped that. I think they, I think they now had I the feel choice bad for bringing it up. It's positively. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I've seen more good about this movie re- recently than I've ever heard before. Cause it was a bomb and I thought it heard it wasn't good, but um. It sounds kind of great, honestly. <laughs> like, um, so I really want to, I will check this out probably in the next couple of weeks. Um, so yeah, I mean, they, you can't blame it for the other, I mean, you can't blame it, I guess <laughs> the other thing, but I think the studio had the, they were like, we can go with this Cutthroat Island movie first, or we can go with the Verhoeven Schwarzenegger thing. We'll do Cutthroat Island first. And that ended up uh, killing them. So um, it's unfortunate, but you know, it's, it's all right. Um, so, um, it sounds very fun. I, I really want to see it. It sounds like all the money's on screen is what it sounds like. Oh yeah. Like you can, <laughs> oh, I was watching it. I didn't even look up what the budget is. And I'm like, I cannot believe how much money they pumped into this thing. And the money <laughs> is definitely on the screen. All right. I always appreciate that. So yeah, I'm definitely going to be checking it out in the next couple of weeks here. So that's very cool. Um, uh, what else have you watched? <laughs> so the second 90s swashbuckler I checked out was The Three Musketeers from 1993, which is a Disney movie, actually. Um, and the reason that I never watched this, even though you think a 90s Three Musketeers movie should be right up my alley, uh, is because the cast kind of makes it look like a laughingstock. It's very <laughs> weird for like a European swashbuckler. Of course, like the book, it takes place in France. And the cast of our heroes is Charlie Sheen, Kiefer Sutherland, Oliver Platt, and Chris O'Donnell like four incredibly American actors. But again, you know, it's a a Kevin Costner situation in Robin Hood. And I'll be honest, I I do not care whatsoever that Kevin Costner doesn't give a British accent in Robin Hood. It doesn't matter to me at all. Um, So watching this, I was kind of surprised how well the casting worked. I really liked all of them. And I really liked this movie. And weirdly enough, I think the standout actor for me was Charlie Sheen. This is shocking what you're saying. He's like the weirdo of the group and he's like uh (laughs) overly religious and he like used to be like training to be a priest, but then gave it up and became a a musketeer. And um, he's just so, he's just such a, giving such a weird performance in it that I thought he was really fun to watch, but I really liked all the actors, honestly. Um, Tim Curry is the villain. And he's super obviously just doing Alan Rickman from Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. But, you know, Tim Curry nails that. And it's funny. He's also his right-hand man, Rochefort, is played by Michael Wincott, who is Sir Guy of Gisborne in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Oh, I was I love Michael Wincott. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he's got the same henchman. Um, But also, this movie (laughs) is remarkable because it reminds you that there was a time where a PG Disney movie could, could be completely obsessed with sex. 
Like <laughs> it's crazy. Like the first, the second half of the movie is much more actiony. The first half, almost every scene, someone is sleazily trying to sleep with someone. And there's so many gratuitous cleavage shots. It's like a seventies hammer movie or something. <laughs> it's like a weirdly sleazy PG Disney movie, which made it all the more entertaining. Um, I enjoyed the hell out of this movie. It's just got such a great adventure vibe. You know, like I, I love action movies so much. I've seen a lot of action movies, but I think like maybe my favorite kind of action movie is like an adventure movie where people are off on an adventure and you've got these big chase sequences and set pieces stuff like Raiders of the Lost Ark and Robin Hood and the Mask of Zorro and stuff like that. That's just like my favorite thing. And this movie really has that, that adventurous vibe and great sword fights and costumes. So uh, I, I just thought it was a blast. I really loved it. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I may have seen this when I was like a little kid, I feel like. Uh, but I, if I have seen, I haven't seen it in like since the mid nineties when it came out. So um, interesting cast. This feels like let's get the hottest young actors and Oliver Platt randomly uh, like to, 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 to do this and let's make the, the kind of pop version from just looking at it. But uh, um, this is interesting. Oh, it's funny though. You're saying it's like for a PG Disney movie, um, the rating kind of feels like, oh, which is funny because that's Dr. Strange. Everyone's like, this is kind of violent for a PG-13. <laughs> Another Disney rating controversy. Um, but, <laughs> yes, uh, this movie is very controversial on Twitter right now. Yeah, people... <laughs> <laughs> if you if you want to have the the like the if you want to avoid hot takes just talk about the 93 three musketeers i mean that's what i did i tweeted about it and there was like an outpouring of support from people i follow for this movie and i was like oh awesome i didn't even know this this movie was so, so popular but that's, that's great. so funny when that happens yeah because i randomly threw off a tweet here tonight about i was watching rapid fire all i said was like i can't sleep and watch rapid fire and it had like the most likes of anything i posted in like a year you know you could put out a clever thought on twitter and chances are not many people are going to care but if you just put out i'm watching this movie that's what gets the likes <laughs> for sure so funny yeah uh i'm glad everyone loves rapid fire but um yeah i uh this movie kind of fell off my radar i i uh i know i saw there's i mean many versions of three musketeers um yeah i saw one i think just called the musketeer i haven't heard of that one the two thousands i want to say there's a um, three musketeers directed by paul ws anderson from the 2000s oh wow i forgot about that um let me let me look this one up um the musketeer they really does it have logan lerman in it is that his? that's the paul ws anderson one okay then what's the one i'm thinking of? oh the musketeer from 2001 directed by peter hyams oh cool starring justin chambers who i think is just a guy i know was on Grey's anatomy for a long time <laughs> um and mina suvari it's a weird cast um yeah i don't remember it's a 4.79 db so i'm not sure that's a great that's a great uh endorsement for that but um okay i mean this i kind of want to see this movie now because i'm kind of watching zora i'm kind of in that mode too for like uh adventure swashbuckler type thing so um okay I, that's i'm glad you enjoyed it because yeah that movie is not talked about very much these days so <laughs> It is if you tweet about it, people will jump at it. Well, that's it. true. <laughs> Put it back in the public consciousness. Yeah. Um, okay, cool, cool. Um, anything else? Okay, I got one more. Okay. And you know, I won't make us spend too much time on it because I know you talked about it with Lindsay on your last episode, but I wanted to bring it up because I wanted to give it some more enthusiastic praise. Just yesterday, I went to the theater and I saw The Northman, um, oh, Robert okay. Eggers' mm -hmm. new movie. And 
I absolutely loved it. Like, I just thought it was incredible. It probably helped that I saw it less than 24 hours after I saw Dr. Strange. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, it's a movie. This is great. Um, but it, it is that kind of trippy art housey Viking movie that like we all thought it would be. But I think it does have more pure entertainment value than a lot of people would guess. Like it's, it's easy to compare it to The Green Knight from last year, but I definitely think it's more of like, a good action movie than the green knight is it does have great action scenes but also i loved watching these characters and this cast like don't get me wrong i'm not saying i love these characters like i morally endorse them or i think they're <laughs> great people but i loved watching them like i love the relationship between alexander skarsgård and anya taylor joy um i thought ethan Haw ethan hawk i think was the cast member i was most skeptical about going in because i just think of him like you know, like Kevin Costner, like such an American actor. Mm -hmm. um, but I thought he was so convincing as a Viking King. Like I thought every actor in this was amazing. Um, of course it looks incredible on a visual level. There is, there's a, an undead fight scene. Like that kind of reminded me a little bit of Dr. Strange, but I was like, man, oh, this yeah. looks so much cooler. <laughs> I, I just kind of loved everything about it. I thought it was like one of the most macho movies I've ever seen. Just watching guys <laughs> scream and yell and beat, beat the shit out of each other. <laughs> um, and it's just about, it's about a time when like you couldn't have morality, when like morality doesn't exist. And you watch this movie and it is such a brutal, violent, barbaric world and the movie never tries to pull it into a modern context never really tries to comment on the morality much it's just very honestly about barbarians basically and i thought that was pretty amazing and like just i love getting immersed in this really gross savage world for over two hours so uh definitely i'm sure it's going to make my top 10 at the end of the year i really loved it that's awesome i'm glad you loved it i it's funny because uh the movie, this is like the opposite effect of Doctor Strange. Uh, it's not because of Doctor Strange, but I think the more I thought about the Northman, the, the more I like it. And I liked it when I first talked about it, but um, I was, I feel like I was kind of hedging a little bit with Lindsay. I was like, well, I feel like uh, they kind of, the scope got away from blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, you know what? It, those are nitpicks. This is a pretty great movie. <laughs> like, um, cause it is, I mean, it, yeah, it feels like a movie. Like they went to, wow, was it New Zealand? I don't know where they were. Um, Sweden maybe, or uh I don't know, but they were, they shot in these beautiful locations and it's all so um, well done. And like every actor feels like they're very committed. Yeah, especially Ethan Hawke and like Willem Dafoe, <laughs> uh, especially. And they have like, they don't have a whole lot of scenes. Um, but no. Yeah, no, but I mean, like, it's it's funny because it is, to me, it's like a, I keep describing people as like, it's a, it's a pretty straightforward like revenge story, but with all these weird Robert Eggers uh, trappings on it. Um, which I really appreciate. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, I have liked it more and more the more I thought about it. Um, it'll probably be my top 10 at the end of, end of year too, honestly, depending on what comes out. But um, it's it's definitely different. I still can't believe they gave Robert Eggers like, I think $60 million to make that movie. It might be more than that, actually. I think I heard 80. 80 I could be wow. wrong. That's what I heard. And yeah, and there's been some discussion about like, oh, should they have done this? It didn't do well at the box office, bad business decision. The thing is like, this movie is going to live on. And I think like 50 years from now, people will still be watching The Northman and still be talking about it long after Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness has been forgotten. <laughs> and that's that's not nothing, you know? Like yeah. we should be giving money to people like Robert Eggers to make movies that maybe won't be giant four quadrant hits, but movies that will last for decades to come. Right. I saw that argument too on Twitter. I was like, what do you want them to not give people 
money to make interesting movies yeah. <laughs> like do you not want not, no no more giving artists money to make you know their unique weird movie like fuck that let's all just make universe <laughs> <laughs> only only shared universes uh north what do you connect to what are the movies you connect to um yeah i tell no. joy is the same character from the witch <laughs> <laughs> that's a real theory that's been floated around right i know that, i've seen it. Does it that doesn't make sense right <laughs> like, no <laughs> no i didn't think so uh i was like that's a stretch isn't it people um so yeah, yeah, you are. I mean, I'm sure it will endure. It's gonna be, um, I'm sure it's our. It probably feels like a cult hit, and then I feel like you give it another. I mean, I don't take 50 years, but it could take a long time. People will be like that. Northman was one of the best movies of this decade, probably. I mean, I feel like it's gonna have that kind of um, power and let the staying power. I think. Uh, yeah, because it's so unique. There's just not a lot of movies that are like this. Right. Like a lot of people could make a straightforward like Viking Revenge movie, but they wouldn't have all the weird Robert Eggers-ness to it. <laughs> like, um, I was telling my friend about it who hadn't seen it yet. And we both, me and my friend saw The Lighthouse together last year and had like the best time seeing The Lighthouse because I felt like no one else was laughing at the weird comedy. We were cracking up. <laughs> and <laughs> so I feel like we, we get Robert Eggers and I was telling him like, even though I like The Witch and The Lighthouse more, it's very stiff competition to go up against um, with the Northmen. I mean, it's not a knock against Northmen. It's how good those movies are. But um, Robert Eggers is great stuff. His stuff's super unique. Um, you know, I I hope he still makes movies. I'm sure he, I feel like he won't get $80 million again, but I hope he's still like, you know, is cranking out movies every couple of years and uh, that are unique, unique and interesting, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. The more I think about it, the more I like the Northmen. So it's good. Yeah, I'm really glad to hear that. I mean, it's yeah. not like you weren't bashing in the last episode. Don't get me wrong, but right. um... <laughs> you're very enthusiastic. I was, I feel like I was hedging. I don't I think I was being too critical for some reason. I don't know. But um, then when you get a little bit of distance, you're like, you're like, what was I talking about? It's a great movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, maybe the criticism is still valid, but I'm just like, I don't care. Who cares? It's a great movie. Um, it's okay so. to like movies the more you think about it. You know, not That's a bad true. thing. They grow on you or they can rot in the sun like, like maybe some mcu <laughs> movies might i don't know but uh um sorry also i just forgot about this too that someone not to go back to dr strange but someone pointed out i'm curious about your thoughts on this that it feels like marvel feels a little uh rudderless right now a little lost with this phase like the other phase yeah. is such clear like direction and this phase feels like they are a little which i thought we would be more interesting when they don't have like a clear we're leading up to this thing but it feels a little messy right now. Like, I like they're a little bit kind of <laughs> like a little all over the place. I, I don't know, but maybe that's just, yeah. Uh, it's not more interesting because, you, you know, there was a little bit of discussion in the, the discord that you and I participate in about like Marvel versus DC. <laughs> and I do feel like Marvel's getting a little bit left in the dust by DC because DC is making interesting standalone movies. Like, my God, if you compare Dr. Strange to the Batman, I mean, there's no comparison on any conceivable level. And Marvel is not making, not necessarily making like interesting standalone movies. They're still making very universe connected movies with just kind of no point in being universe and connected and connecty. Um, like Spider-Man No Way Home, I love, but it's much more a payoff for the entire Spider-Man franchise, not of the MCU. That's true, and Shang-Chi yeah. just legitimately is like an interesting standalone movie, I think. I, I really love Shang-Chi. Um, but every time it's they make a really connected universe movie i kind of feel like well like i don't know what the point of this is <laughs> yeah i was thinking how much i liked shang chi the other day i think after well not the other day I think it was after doctor strange i was like that movie was really fun and that worked really, really well. good yeah and i am surprised i feel like some people really bagged on that one 
again for like kind of bad CGI at the end, which is a fair criticism, but it's like, I just, I don't know. I thought that one worked in a different way than a lot of the recent stuff. Because it works emotionally so well that you can forgive effects. Yeah. And the action scenes, at least for me, really, really good in that movie. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, everything up till that very, very end fight scene is where I can see the criticism of like, oh, this kind of like a CGI mess. And I kind of get it. But I thought everything up leading up to that was like, very well done, honestly. So, um, and, and it didn't bother me that much. I'm like, I don't even expect that at this point from a Marvel movie, but uh, which is not great to be like, I expect mediocre CGI <laughs> where I can't tell what's <laughs> happening. But um, yeah, I'm with you. I really liked that movie. So um, I don't know. It's interesting. But uh, um, sorry, I take us back to Doctor Strange, but we already moved on. But uh, um, <laughs> uh, anything else on Northman before we move on? Or No, I'm good. I am very curious what you've been checking out lately. Um, well, one of my things was Dr. Strange, we already talked about, um, and I have two, like, I feel like these are very specific Daniel picks that I saved just for you. So, um, <laughs> I watched a movie from 1936, uh, called Fury. Have you ever seen Fury? Oh, cool. Uh, I haven't. It's Spencer Tracy. Spencer Tracy. Yeah. And okay. Sylvia Sidney. Is it a Warner archive Blu-ray? It might be. I, um, I don't know. I just watched it on, um. Uh, Amazon Prime. I had to pay to rent oh, okay, it. Okay, cool. Um, and I think I looked up. It might only have a Warner Archive DVD, possibly. Gotcha. Um, but it's a really good movie. Um, Spencer Tracy. It's like one. I haven't seen too many movies Spencer Tracy, but um, this is probably the best thing I've seen him in. Uh, so basically, Fury's kind of a noir. I don't really know how to describe it as like a noir drama. Um, basically, Spencer Tracy uh, is. Uh, with Sylvia Sidney, they're um, uh, kind of talking about getting engaged and all these things. And um, she goes uh, to work some more at the beginning of the movie and he's going to go travel and meet her there. And he's driving, uh, I think, cross country. He's taking this long road trip and he gets stopped kind of middle of nowhere. Um, and just like by a guy on the side of the road with a shotgun. And it was like, hey, buddy, you got to come with me. They think he's some other man. So he's a guy, he looks like another guy and his car fits a description um and they take him to a local police station and he's trying to tell them i'm like i'm not this guy that i think they robbed a bank he's like i'm not this guy and they don't believe him and <laughs> so they're holding him to jail and the town that he's in gets wind that that they think the police have this guy that robbed a bank i think killed some people and the town wants like to get him it's like a mob of a, a lynch mob basically forms to come and get him and the guys at the police station are trying to like hold them off from getting to Spencer Tracy and uh ooh, it's hard to talk about because like an incident happens at the police station and then the rest of the movie is the fallout from what happens uh when the mob comes to the police station uh with Spencer Tracy and it's very interesting it becomes kind of a different movie in the back half which I wasn't quite as interested in but it's still really really good um and it's hard to talk around. Like this is major pivot point in the middle, but um, I I thought it was a pretty great movie. Spent Tracy's really good. Sylvia Sidney's really good. I had it blew my mind. I realized Sylvia Sidney was the grandma from Mars Attacks. <laughs> it like, is because this is so much you know so long ago, thirty six like ninety six. So it's like and I was like, oh my god, she's kind of cute. I was like, oh my god, it's a grandma from Mars Attacks. <laughs> it like blew my mind. Um, it's uh yeah it's a very good movie i don't want to say anymore because i want to spoil where it goes but um i really i think you would like it a lot 
So yeah, I just looked it up. I, I realized I forgot it's a Fritz Lang movie. Um, yeah, that's I, the other thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I still have a lot of Fritz Lang movies to check out, and this is definitely one. But um, to- yeah, man, this sounds fantastic. I'm definitely going to check it out. I I think maybe one thing that's held me back from watching it, as opposed to some other Fritz Lang movies, is I'm actually not a big Spencer Tracy fan. Um, I mean, I really love him. I really like him in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. That role fits him very well. But in most movies, I find him kind of dull compared to some of his contemporaries. But uh, that that shouldn't hold me back because this definitely sounds like an interesting film. Yeah, and I, I forgot. Yeah, Fritz Lang, and he did The Big Heat, which is like one of my favorite discoveries the past few years. I love The Big Heat. I was like blown away by that movie. I'm um, pretty sure we yeah, talked about so, it at one point. So yeah. good, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and Ben Tracy's good in this. I feel like he starts off like a very... Uh, just normal guy and then he gets in this crazy situation and then like um what happens in the second half is so interesting and like um i thought he played played all really well so i kind of i guess i was kind of neutral on him i guess but i thought he was great in this so um recommend fury from 36 uh the other one i know you're gonna be excited about we already kind of talked about it i said save it for the podcast <laughs> <laughs> i'm so was, sorry uh, it's okay no no we didn't say we didn't say much about it but um my whole idea was like we're watching zorro uh, you know, I, it's a perfect time to watch the adventures of uh, Robin Hood from 38, I believe. Yes. Um, and I loved it. It was delightful. I don't even know what, like, um, it's pretty incredible. It feels so far to me. It felt very far ahead of its time for 38. Um, I get probably the Technicolor helps, but um, it looks so good. It's so colorful. Um, it's an amazing production. I was like, God damn, how did they pull this off in 38? Like this feels such a massive undertaking of a, a production for that time. Um, Errol Flynn is great. I love when he just throws his head back constantly and laughs at everyone. <laughs> I just kept... He's such a little shit and I love it. <laughs> it it's like, uh, I saw someone had a drinking game that was like, watch this movie and take a shot every time Errol Flynn like dramatically throws his head back and laughs. <laughs> You'll be dead very quickly. Um, uh, the sword fights, it in this movie are amazing like there's a real like speed and like i felt like there's like a ferocity to them like there's like mm-hmm. a real i feel like i was watching actors genuinely try to stab each other yeah <laughs> the way the sword fights are just like just so uh kinetic and so crazy um it's so action-packed like i remember you picked it for when we did our action fest on your show and i was like yeah daniel was right this thing is like this is very action-packed like a good call you know <laughs> like this is not like uh, I felt like there was an action scene happening like every five minutes for a while. <laughs> like a yeah, it's fight. fast movie. Yeah, or something. Um, it was great. I don't, it's like, I'm so glad I finally watched it. Um, so I held off for so long, but it's uh, one of those classics that definitely held up. Uh, and I liked it more than I even thought I was going to like it. It's, it's just so much fun. Man, that makes me happy because I, I you know, I, I'm not totally sure how this movie would work for somebody who had never seen it because I grew up on this movie. This is kind of like the universal monsters where I, I don't remember the first time I saw it, honestly. Um, it's just kind of always been in my life. And uh, yeah, I, 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 I think it's probably, I think it's the best swashbuckler ever made. I think the movie that we're talking about today is a very close second actually, but um, yeah, I, it's a perfect movie to me. Um, and I actually also love the, uh, I, I also love the Kevin Costner Robin Hood, to be honest with you, but Errol Flynn, like his Robin Hood, he's just so perfectly cast and everybody is like, I love Basil Rathbone as Sir Guy of Gisborne. Mm-hmm. Um, swashbucklers really benefit when you've got villains who are so despicably hateable, like a, sh- a swashbuckler usually shouldn't have an empathetic, understandable villain. Like they usually have just people you want to get stabbed so bad. And 
Claude Rains and Basil Rathbone fit that so well. But uh, but yeah, I'm really glad it worked for you, man. And I'll also say, if you like the sword fights in this movie, uh, a couple years later, Basil Rathbone was also in The Mark of Zorro, which I don't know if it's going to come up during this podcast, but boy, that sword fight, they're really trying to kill each other. Like it's probably not <laughs> quite as visually beautiful because it's a little mm-hmm. smaller and in, in black and white, but it's a pretty violent sword fight too. So yeah, there's sword fights is a, is a rare kind of action that like hasn't improved a lot like it was really great in the 30s like like as great as it is now whereas most action has obviously gotten better with technology that's a good point actually i haven't thought about that (laughs) it was like um the sword fights in robin hood almost felt better than some of the sword fights i feel like i see now just because they were so it it may be like it's a safety thing but i felt like they were going at it in a way of like i don't care if we get hurt doing the sword fight i just want to look really good i don't know the the way they were like attacking each other was um had this extra level i feel like i don't see in a lot of movies where the stars are probably like hey be careful watch my face <laughs> these guys are just like <laughs> stab stab i'm like and there's like a part where a few parts where there's like so many sword fights going on if you just watch all the chaos it's just guys like whacking the shit at each other. <laughs> like, there was not very much safety on this set i really learned that when i watched the making of on the blu-ray oh i could imagine yeah i'm like i imagine we'll, we're I thought people getting eyes poked out left and right. I don't know. Like, like, do you know how they shot people getting shot with arrows? Oh God, no, I don't know. They, they put padding on people's chests and shot people with arrows. <laughs> that is how they did this movie. Wow. wow. <laughs> well, it looks great. So <laughs> I'm glad. I hope no one was hurt. Um, I thought I read something in the trivia. One piece of trivia I think I saw was that the uh, Errol Flynn was almost hurt by something and then he jumped up in the director's face and got like choked him or got right in his face and was like, I can't, I don't know if you know the story, but I can't remember the details. I'm I don't think it. I do know this actually. Where he got like kind of pissed, but he got right in his face. It was like, hey, don't do that again. Okay. Or something like he, uh, I can't remember. I, I botched that story, but <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, okay. I see. I got, it's the first thing on the trivia 90B. So uh, during one fight scene, Errol Flynn was jabbed by an actor who was using an unprotected sword. He asked him why he didn't have a guard on the point. The other actor apologized, explained director Michael Curtis had instructed him to remove the safety feature in order to make the action more exciting. So <laughs> then Flynn reportedly climbed up a gantry where Curtis was standing next to her camera, took him by the throat and asked if he found that exciting enough. <laughs> so like, Michael Curtis was not a great guy from oh, what okay. I've heard. Like <laughs> great not director. great on sets. Oh yeah. <laughs> terrible man but great <laughs> was he just not like was he just like how oh, we got the movie done like sorry there's no safety guy. yeah he was just not very concerned about the well-being of his actors i've so i've heard oh okay okay um so yeah i mean i i really enjoyed it i uh i'm glad i finally watched it so um yeah that was i had those two things doctor strange that's really all i had um because all the other stuff i've been watching is like for other podcasts coming up or oh yeah stuff like that so um there is a connection to lead us from Robin Hood to Mask of Zorro, which is a guy named Bob Anderson, mm-hmm. who uh, this guy sounds like he's like the legend of Hollywood sword fights because apparently he trained with Errol Flynn or worked with Errol Flynn and was working all the way up to like Lord of the Rings. Like he was the oh, sword wow. master on Lord of the Rings. He did the, he helped with fights on Star Wars. Um, he now actually, I think maybe yeah. what's missing from sword fights today is that guy. I think... <laughs> I think it is that guy. Um, <laughs> he doubled for David Prowse in Empire Strikes Back. Like he he wore the suit and did the fight. Oh, cool! Um, and had to put like six inch lifts on because he was that much shorter than him. <laughs> and um, 
and he did Mask of Zorro, which leads us into Mask of Zorro. <laughs> so, um, oh, and he worked on The Three Musketeers that you talked about. <laughs> I just saw that one. So, yeah, Bob Anderson sounds like an amazing man. So Mask of Zorro also has amazing sword fights. And um, I'm very curious if this is a movie that you saw when you were younger. Because I know, I feel you talked in the past about um, in your house, like the media was like, you were watching movies that were kind of older a lot. Um, and so I don't know if you saw this in 98 or you saw it way later, or well, I'm just curious when you first saw this one. Definitely saw it when I was a kid. Um, th- this is a movie that was perfectly appropriate for my family. Um, <laughs> it, I, I, it's, it, so it's a movie that I grew up on, much like The Adventures of Robin Hood. I really love swashbucklers and any movies with swords or sword fighting in them when I was a kid. Um, and this was a big one. So yeah, it's just a movie that I have loved ever since I was a kid. And, but I don't think it's just nostalgia because there are movies that I loved as a kid that I watched them as an adult. And I'm like, well, this isn't very good. <laughs> um, but this is a movie that grow, like grows in my estimation every time I see it. Like the more movies I see, the more I learn about movies, the more I go back to The Mask of Zorro and, and, and I'm just like, my God, this movie's remarkable, just like on every single level. So yeah, long history with this one. And um, yeah, spoilers. I love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think we hinted at that. So yeah, I know how much of this movie. So yeah, I was curious if, if you, you live it a long time. So okay, that's interesting. And it probably gets better for you because movies don't get made like Masazoro, uh, where I, I don't know if there's like any CGI in this movie. You know, I listened to I, part of the director's commentary and there is some, but none of it looks like CGI. Like there are shots of the ocean where there's a ship and that ship is CGI. And when Zoro like cuts Z's on people's necks, those cuts are CGI, oh, but okay. it's all seamless, you know? Yeah. I, so like kind of more minor stuff, like, and, I mean, Cut they're jumps. really blowing stuff up. I mean, my, <laughs> my uh, uh, roommate came down at one point when there's like a massive explosion and he's like, holy shit. Like he was like, he just was kind of taken aback. Like, he's like, wow, they really did that. I'm like, yeah, I think they did. <laughs> like, yeah. um, they went for it. Like the movie feels, it feel, even for 98, I think it feels like they were doing kind of a throwback thing. And it kind of feels like it's at the tail end of that weird period in the nineties um, where they were doing a lot of like throwback, like radio heroes and old comic book heroes, yeah. like the shadow and the phantom and Dick Tracy and and Master Zorro kind of feels like it comes at the end of that wave um, where it's like he's a throwback hero because Zorro has been around since, is it the 40s? I feel like. like um, the, He was originally in a novel in 1919 and they adapted it to a silent film with Douglas Fairbanks a few years after that. But yeah, like the first talkie with Zorro, I believe, is the Mark of Zorro from 1940. Okay, which I have not seen. Um, and I watched, the, there was a Disney show as a kid that came in like 50s, 60s. They would come there on super late at night on Disney Channel when I was uh, a kid, like in the 90s or 2000s. They had like the Disney vault, uh, if you remember that. And they would play like their old shows and Zoro would come on. And I, I don't remember watching it that much, but I remember just it existing basically. I was like, oh yeah, Zoro. Um, you know what's surprised- funny about that show <laughs> is they actually put like a few episodes together and released it as a movie. And oh. I've seen that movie and it's, I saw it a few years ago and like, it's fun, it's fine, but you know, it's, it's no mask or Mark of Zorro for sure. It's like a Disney show. Yeah. Yeah. So um, he's been around a long time and I, you know, I was trying to remember when I first saw this movie and I honestly cannot remember. I don't think I saw in the theater, which I thought was weird because in 98, I was 11. I feel like I was seeing like every action movie that came out. Like I know I saw 
like Lethal Weapon 4 in 98 and Blade and all these other things. Like, so I'm really surprised that I don't think we made it to Mass Zora, which is very weird. Um, and I've, I've, I'm, I've only seen this movie like probably twice in my life. And the third time was for this podcast. Okay. So you're much more familiar with it than I am. <laughs> but but um, I, mean, I, I really enjoy it. I think it's so much fun. And I appreciate it more now, I think, than ever, because it feels like such a throwback to a different time of movie making where I'm like, oh, they built these sets and like they blew things up and they did all these real things. <laughs> like, um, it's just such an amazing, like, I felt very nostalgic for this era of like uh, summer blockbusters. Oh yeah, like it'll do that for sure. But I, I, I do think even compared to the blockbusters of the 90s, the Mask of Zorro is remarkable. Like, I think it's one of the best like blockbusters of that whole decade to me. And yeah, but based on like how it looks and everything, I would I learned on the director's commentary, Martin Campbell said that about 80% of the movie is shot on location. There's very little stunt doubling in it. He said the majority of the stunt doubling is Anthony Hopkins in the opening. Um, it's just a lot of like blowing things up and making Antonio Banderas actually do stuff and, and filming. <laughs> I think one thing that I love about sword fights and I really love sword fights in movies is they're kind of like martial arts fights in the sense that it's very difficult to fake them. Like I'm sure you can fake them to a certain degree, but with a sword fight, I mean, most of your option is you have to have people who can sword fight and you got to stick a camera in front of them and just film them doing it. And that's very much uh, the method with the mask of Zorro. And it's, it's very practical. You can clearly tell it's like Antonio Banderas and it's, and it's Catherine Zeta-Jones and they're actually sword fighting each other and they're excellent at it. And, and this is like, holy shit, what a movie star showcase this is for Tony Banderas, right? Oh my God. Yeah, I was thinking that. I was like, he gets to do like everything uh, you'd want a movie star to do. Romance, action, comedy. It's like, he's doing everything. I, I was like, I mean, I love Tony Banderas, but I mean, from Desperado even, like, you know, and then this is like, I was like, this is his movie star like vehicle like why was he not starring like so many more movies for years after this he's been in movies but like i just wanted more of him in this mode you know <laughs> yeah you know i not to get too cynical but i do wonder if it's like well zorro is for a hispanic actor and not most movies aren't and right like i that. thought the same thing i'm like is it because he's a hispanic actor i'm like is that really what it comes to? which is so silly because i feel like he could he star would... in anything he could have been batman for all i care <laughs> exactly he could have crossed over those lines very easily i think like i don't i don't know how hollywood thinks about those kind of things but it, to me it's very silly if that was the reason but um yeah he can do everything that i just i'm blown away by this guy and um you mentioned the stunts already and i read something that in term like himself like refused to have a stunt double for almost anything he wanted to do like all the stunts himself um which i again appreciate even more <laughs> just hearing that and bob anderson that we, we talked about with, so he worked with Errol Flynn. He said that Antonio Medeiros was the best swordsman that he'd worked with since Errol Flynn. Oh, that's it's, awesome. Martin Campbell sick. did say that Antonio Banderas was better than the stuntman. <laughs> wow. That's, that's amazing. Like, um, yeah. And like, I, what high praise it's like, this is the best guy since Errol Flynn. Like that's very high bar and to be better than the stuntman. Like apparently he trained really hard for this. He trained with like the U S Olympic fencing team for a few months. Um, it shows, I remember Robert Rodriguez saying something about Intermediaris, I think on the Desperado, like commentary about like how that Intermediaris has like, 
everything he does, like from an action standpoint, has such like a fluidity because the guy has like the the movement of a like a dancer. I can't remember if he actually was a dancer or he just has the movement of it. Like everything looks so smooth and so fluid. And he has like an amazing like way just to like do anything physical and make it look cool, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he's just like a natural at picking this kind of stuff up. And like, um, yeah, I love the sword fights in this movie. I love that, yeah, you can tell like almost all the time it's the actual actors doing the the fights, the sword fights specifically. Um and it looks like he's having a great time. I feel like he always, it's like, he just looks so happy to be doing the fun, like stunts and sword fights, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's it's just, I and it's funny that Bob Anderson said that he was the best since Errol Flynn because he is my favorite swashbuckler action hero since Errol Flynn, for sure. And this, like I said earlier, this is the second best swashbuckler ever made to me. It's the best of that whole reboot of swashbucklers that happened in the 90s and the early 2000s. For the record, my number two is uh, the first Pirates of the Caribbean. I think that's really great, but I think this movie's even better. You know what's, <laughs> have I mentioned this before about how like I, for, and I, I'm not saying anything against them, but I just am not like the biggest fan of those Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Oh, I don't like any of the sequel. No, that's not okay. true. <laughs> I don't like the two sequels I've seen and I never saw four or five. Okay. I I think the first one is a completely different kind of thing than the rest of them are. Okay. Interesting. I, I don't. Okay. I know I saw the first one. I know I saw four randomly and I got taken to four by like a group of friends. I didn't want to go. And uh, I, <laughs> I was like, and I had no idea what was going on. I was so confused. So I, like, <laughs> I already don't want to be here. I've missed the past two movies. I don't know what's happening. Um, something. And I, it's one of those things where I feel like completely left out of the like, the love for the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Cause I just don't, I don't know. I can't, I, I don't think they're bad. It's just like, it's not my thing basically. If that, you know, I don't know, but um, I know people like they are below, especially the first one. Um, I know the sequels get like less and less, but like um, I, I just can never get into those, but I'm totally into Mass Zora. <laughs> totally that kind of swashbuckler. So um, I don't know what the disconnect is, but, um, but yeah, this, I mean, there's so many directions to go on Mass Zora because I was reading so much, interesting behind the scenes stuff about like the movie and the production history. Um, I did not know until I was reading all the stuff that it was produced by Steven Spielberg. Um, yeah. I didn't learn that until the commentary <laughs> and he had input on this movie too. Yeah. And I think he almost directed it, but he was busy with saving private Ryan. So Robert that, Rodriguez almost directed it too. Yes. That one, <laughs> that one. I mean, I love Martin Campbell. I'm very curious to see what a Robert Rodriguez uh, masses or would have looked like. Um, and apparently he pitched like a, a more violent R-rated version, which then made me less excited again because I'm like, this, this is not even rated R. This is not need to be like a hardcore R, you know, violent Zora movie. Like, um, I feel like it's fine the way it is at P13. <laughs> like, oh, I agree. Like, I, I mean, I like Robert Rodriguez maybe more as a person than a director, although I do like some of his movies, but um, I, I don't think he's ever made anything as good as this, but you know, that's just me. This is one of my favorite movies. Um, and I do, I feel like a Robert Rodriguez mask of Zorro would be much more of a kind of schlocky B movie. Whereas I think Martin Campbell took this really seriously and he made this like a real movie. And, and I do think Zorro movies should be something that 10 year old boys should be able to go see and like get all excited about and go get swords and play. And <laughs> I know at 10 years old, you could have gone to see a hyper violent Zorro movie, but I couldn't have. <laughs> no, there were no rules apparently in my house, but uh, <laughs> just do whatever I want. Um, no, I mean, I just think it would have thrown off the tone for it to be like this very violent R rated. Cause there's a very fun 
like lightness to most of this. Like there's yeah. some dramatic moments. I think the craziest thing that happens where I was like, whoa, I didn't remember this was when um what's this Captain Love like pulls out um Antonio Banderas severed head. <laughs> severed, Antonio Banderas' brother's severed head and puts it on the table. And I was like, whoa, where did that come from? <laughs> like did not remember that. Like oh, this guy's hardcore. He's kept that under, he's kept that around for like years now. <laughs> like or how I guess it hasn't been years at that point. I've been I don't know what the, the time difference was, but he's, he's kept a severed head in a jar, which is an insane thing to do. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, that was weird. But um, I don't need a Zora where they're like chopping each other's limbs off and chopping heads off. Like maybe some people want that. I, I'm fine with this, the fun tone of this movie. <laughs> like don't, don't push it too far. <laughs> I agree. And I'm, I'm of the same opinion about Batman movies. Like I know a lot of people want an R-rated Batman movie. I think Batman movies should be able to be seen by kids. And I know the new one is like pushing it, but it's still, I think kids can still go see that movie. But that does lead me to an interesting point about this movie. Mm -hmm. I think um, the relationship between the characters of Zorro and Batman is very interesting because Zorro is a heavy influence on Batman. In fact, I, I don't know if you know this, but in the original story, the movie that Bruce and his parents were going, well, I don't know if it's the original, original story, but one of the most classic uh, Batman origin stories is Bruce and his parents were going to see the Mark of Zorro, uh, the original Tyrone Power movie, I, I think, or possibly the silent version, but anyway. Um, so it, it's very clear that like Batman took a lot of inspiration from Zorro. Mm -hmm. And then when I watch this movie, I see the ways that this movie has taken influence from Batman movies like the whole, the layer, the cave that he stays in. Yes. It's very Batcave <laughs> and that's not in the original movie. And even when Anthony Hopkins is Zorro, uh, Diego uh, de la Vega, when he goes into his cave, it's like through a waterfall. And I'm like, this is exactly like Batman movies are too. <laughs> so it's it's very interesting to watch the well, the relationship between Batman and Zorro, I think. I was thinking about that when I was watching it too. I'm like, oh, right. This and Batman share a lot of things in common. And I kind of forgot. And you are right. Yeah, I know. And they've changed that version many times about what his parents and him were seen. But at one point it was a Zora movie. I'm not sure which Zora movie, but um, and yeah, there's a lot of like shared things there. And I was thinking, yeah, though the waterfall cave lair thing. I'm like, well, that's just straight out of Batman. <laughs> and um, I don't know if you read this or not. It's a more a more connection here that so they made the second they made the sequel of this, which is the Legend of Zorro. Yeah, right? in 2005, they waited a long time and. 05 was the same year as Batman Begins. Um, and I think somebody, a producer or somebody had the idea for maybe if they did a third Zora movie that they would do kind of a prequel that would be more like Zorro Begins. It'd be like Batman Begins, but with Zorro. <laughs> That's um, funny because the mark of Zorro is basically the prequel to this movie because it's about Anthony Hopkins's character. Right. <laughs> so yeah, a little kind of weird. I'm like, I, I feel like they're always trying to kind of catch up with the trends. And I'm like, I don't know if I would have wanted to see um, that, that ver I'm like, just give me more of Antonio Madeiras as Zorro. Um, cause I have not seen, I was gonna bring this up later, but I'll, I'll tell you, I'll bring it up now. I've not seen the sequel to this legend of Zorro. And I see that has like a worse reputation and made less money. Uh, I'm assuming you've seen that, correct? <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I actually watched it leading up to this podcast. Um, I had never bothered with it because I heard it wasn't as good. Um, and now that I've seen it, I don't recommend it unless you're like a Zorro completionist and, and you even bothered to see the Disney movie like I did. Um, I don't recommend it. I think it has really, really good action sequences, mm -hmm. even though 
it's definitely a little less swashbucklery and it's a little more superhero-y action, you know, that oh. kind of comes with the time, but still really good action scenes. I don't like what they do with like any of the characters. It is unbelievably cliche of like bad sequels. It even does the thing where it oh, breaks man. up the couple at the beginning oh. so that it can spend the whole movie getting them back together. And I hate that trend because it just tells me that like, you writers don't know how to write a man and a woman just being a team. So you have to have <laughs> yeah. them be at odds and will they, won't they bullshit. And I'm like, I already watched this with the first movie. <laughs> so I was worried about that. I was like thinking about things they could do. And I'm like, why would this be less? I'm like, well, do some bullshit where they like, they aren't together or they break them up, separate them in some way. And um, I just thought, be a team, just be, you know, she can fight. We see her character sword fighting in the movie. Like, she can do things. So it's like, why would you, I just want them to be like a fun team. Is that kind of, yeah, that kind of, because I'm like looking at it on paper. I'm like, it's still Martin Campbell. It's in Termodaris, Catherine Virginia Jones. I'm like, we've gotten past the origin part. So we can just jump into like having a fun adventure. So I thought this should be better almost, or not better, but at least as good. So that's kind of disappointing to hear that it's, you think it's not quite as good. No. And they even, they even turn Alejandro into like an unlikable prick at the beginning so that he can have an arc and be, stop being an unlikable prick oh, by man. the end. <laughs> like, why, why can't he just be awesome? Like he right. is in this. Oh, just, they have such a hard time with this. Like just put the character in like a new adventure and let him you know, go. I don't know. It's like, we don't need all these little obstacles and weird, you know, things. So well, that's disappointing because I was hoping that you would tell me, no, Matt, it's way better than reputation. It's way underrated. <laughs> I wish. Yeah. Uh, Completion is only. Okay. Okay. Maybe one day I still might give it a spin because I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of curious <laughs> to see it for myself, but if the action's good, that's kind of enough to be like, okay, I kind of want to see it for that. But um, okay. That's interesting. So um, back to Mask of Zorro. <laughs> so um, I, I'm curious for your take on this, um, cause this happens a lot in Hollywood, Anthony Hopkins as Don Diego de la Vega. Ah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have to bring it up because it's like, I actually think he's very good in the movie, but I do think it's funny. They cast Anthony Hopkins <laughs> as a Spanish man, which is, we just talked about Highlander a few weeks ago, me and Hayden. And, and funny enough, did you read that Sean Connery almost played the Anthony Hopkins role? Oh no, I did not. They wanted they wanted uh, Sean Connery. I guess they thought, oh, we saw him do it in Highlander, where he played the Spanish Egyptian guy, so he can do I it. Am in Don Diego de la Vega. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Joro. Uh, <laughs> they uh, they wanted him again, and I just thought that was so so interesting that they were like, "This is who we need to play this Spanish man." And then they go to Anthony Hopkins, who, who almost turned them down. I read because he was having back problems. Um, and was like, I can't do this movie. I can't do all this physical stuff. And he got some kind of like surgery and then he said he felt great and he did it. So, um, but I think he's very fun. Like uh, as the, the older Zorro passing the mantle, um, he kind of gets a lot of the, uh, what's the word? Like uh, emotional stuff with, you know, his, the wife being killed right at the beginning. That's not really, I should have spoilers, but you know, people probably know by now, but, and then trying to reconnect with his daughter after all this time. Um, I just thought it was funny. I was like, that's their go-to guy for a Spanish guy is Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> like, well, yeah. the thing is, like, it's not just Anthony Hopkins. This movie is absolutely littered with actors who are not Hispanic playing Hispanic parts. Um, in fact, Antonio Banderas is the weird one for actually being Hispanic, right. um, <laughs> even though he's Spanish and he's not Mexican. But uh, even so, he, he's like the 
the water in the desert when it comes to this movie because Anthony Hopkins is British, Stuart Wilson, who plays Don Raphael, is British, Catherine Zeta-Jones is Welsh, even though she she's very convincing as Spanish, um, right. she's still not Spanish. Um, <laughs> Martin Campbell talked about the accents in the commentary and how Anthony Hopkins was supposed to have a Spanish accent and Anthony Hopkins basically came up to him and was like, look, I am not good with accents. I don't like doing accents. I don't want to do this. And Martin Campbell just kind of came to the decision that like, well, I'll just have the older characters, Hopkins and Stuart Wilson, I'll have them just do their British accents and I'll have Catherine Zeta-Jones do a Spanish accent and she's good at it. So my younger characters have that. It'll just kind of work out. And I think he's right. Like, I do think it works out. Um, I, I mean, I'm not going to, the morality of casting non-Hispanic actors for Hispanic parts sucks. And I'm not going to pretend it doesn't, but um, it's, it was 1998. It's the reality and uh, and I love Anthony Hopkins in the movie. I think he's phenomenal, and I, he looks great in the part. Um, he's convincing enough in the opening at being younger, but especially once they jump ahead in time, um, he's just phenomenal. And Stuart Wilson is a great villain, and Catherine Zeta-Jones is like the best leading lady you could possibly get for this movie, practically. So I love the cast. I recognize the problematic issues, though. That's that's basically where I stand. Okay, yeah. Anyway, I mean, put you on the spot. I was just curious your take on it. Like, and it is, I mean, it is almost twenty five years ago, and uh, I, I guess Hollywood's gotten better. They've gotten better, right? <laughs> like, it's, I think at, so. At doing this, yeah, yeah. Um, There's still they still have an issue with treating all Hispanic people like homogenous. Like with the new West Side Story, they casted Hispanic actors, but not Puerto Rican actors. They're just like hmm. all different kinds of Hispanic, which is a step forward, but still like Hispanic people are not a blob, you know, there's a lot of different right. kinds. That's a good point. Yeah. Like <laughs> baby steps, I guess, for Hollywood, they're like, okay, we did it guys. But then it's like, oh, you didn't get like, I think hardly any, I think I read like hardly any Puerto Rican actors for that movie. <laughs> like yeah. um, it's, I don't know. They, you know, I, they should do better, but yeah, this was almost 25 years ago. And it's like, um, it's funny. Cause I wonder how different the cast might've been if it was Robert Rodriguez, because um, I know he's actually the guy that kind of um, his, I guess his contribution to the movie, because I think he got fairly far along. I feel like I remember Rodriguez saying he was even location scouting for this movie. Like he got that far in the process. Um, but he, he pretty much put Antonio Banderas up as Zorro. Like he, he was like, oh, that was great. his, yeah, his idea. And that's God bless him for that. So, um, but I wonder how different it would have been. How many of the Robert Rodriguez, uh, 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 what's the, the troop of actors we would have gotten in the movie. <laughs> like, um, because it's funny because um, I feel like Antonio Banderas and Catherine Jones have great chemistry, uh, both obviously very attractive human beings, only second in my mind to Antonio Banderas and Salma Hayek in Desperado, which is like, that's a very tough, that's a tough uh, act to follow. But Catherine Jones and Antonio Banderas, very close. I feel like the chemistry is like right there. They're both obviously beautiful human beings. <laughs> like, I wonder if uh, Rodriguez would cast Emma Hayek as Catherine Zeta Jones's part. <laughs> I, yeah, th that's immediately what I thought of when you said, How would the cast be different? I don't know if she was available or not, but um, yeah, I that's definitely the first thing I thought. Um, but yeah, I, I think she's amazing in the movie. Uh, I mean, she's never been more beautiful. She's kind of like, it's this movie for her is kind of like um, the mask for Catherine. D Cameron? Cameron, Cameron Diaz. Diaz. That's a great comparison, actually. Yeah, she's because she's stunning in this. Like every time it's like she comes on screen, it's like, oh, like take your breath away. Beautiful. It's like it's insane. Like, which is like Cameron Diaz in the mask was just like, whoa, who is this person? Yeah. <laughs> um, and she's great. I mean, she gets to have 
some action beat. She has like, I love the sword fight in the barn that they have. Well, this movie accomplishes something that I love it when movies do is it basically has two sex scenes, but no actual sex scene. They do it with a dance sequence and a sword fight. And I think that is so cool and creative. Oh my God. Yeah, the dance scene is like, whoo. Like I was watching that. I was like, movies aren't even this sexy anymore. And this isn't even a sex scene. This is two people dancing. Like they can't, this level of like sexiness is like just hardly there in any movies anymore. I feel like the chemistry is, is so palpable. And you're right, and the sword fight is, definitely that too um uh, yeah it's pretty great i do love them together as a couple which is why i'm so sad you told me in the sequel that they that the movie breaks them up like why would you do that well they get back together by the end they renew uh, their vows or whatever <laughs> still i mean you got i got great chemistry why why break it up but um they yeah and she can hold her own i'm glad they don't just make her like a damsel in distress um she gets in on the stuff i mean so yeah she is helping at the end and obviously has that sword fight and yeah i mean um they're great together i was i just love them as i was like oh man i could watch like so many movies with the two of them as the leads honestly oh yeah like she she's one of the reasons that i think this movie is much better than the original from 1940 because uh the leading lady in that is linda darnell who's a good actress and she's very very beautiful um but she's a very just like basic girl character in an adventure movie you know and and she's fairly ineffectual um and man they do so much better with the leading lady in this movie um they this movie is so good like they even do they do so much better with the actors too sorry not the actors the villains too because i feel like the villains in the mark of zorro sorry to be talking about a movie you haven't seen but just, just okay. to compare um <laughs> they're a little more on the goofy side and they're not as hateable and i love how absolutely despicable and hateable and punchable these villains are like it's just i love that like i i do love an understandable sympathetic villain you know that's interesting but i also love a villain who's just so despicable like you matt you are a hound for justice you must be going crazy during this movie thank you again for calling me hound for justice that's my new twitter <laughs> handle no i yeah i i love it because these guys are like i've been watching a lot of stuff lately i feel like that's like action movies that you know, I think 80s, 90s, where a lot of villains who are just like they're just despicable people, and they don't have layers. They don't have they don't have any um, you know they're just bad guys to be bad guys. They don't have some reason. Which I kind of like, and I kind of am just like, oh good, I don't have to feel bad for you at all when you get murdered. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> like yeah, and these guys are really despicable. I especially hate that guy, Captain Love. The, oh man, the most punchable guy who's such, ever lived. Yes. <laughs> So punchable like oh my god and um yeah i oh man he's i'm like from the minute i see him, i'm like oh i want to hit this guy in the face so bad <laughs> and um and yeah i love that they're kind of just like they're just bad guys and that's that's fine like i just watched um uh commando last night with Schwarzenegger, <laughs> oh, nice. which is just they're just bad guys there's no like you don't feel any sympathy for them like he just plows he, it makes it so much easier when he's just killing these guys like yeah they're just they're just the bad guy they're villains and they're shitty and uh they took his daughter he's gonna kill him at the end like that's all <laughs> like sometimes <laughs> i want to be that simple i'm not like completely against a a villain that's you know got layers but i do appreciate when sometimes just like the hero has to plow through a bunch of bad guys so <laughs> I love it too. And like, like I said before, like that's usually how swashbucklers are. Like something I love about this genre is it's usually about like a hero of the common people who's fighting against the corrupt 
rich, smug assholes. And, uh, and that's very much what this is. Um, Cause yeah, like um, Stuart Wilson is Don Raphael, very hateable, does a horrible thing in the beginning by getting Anthony Hopkins's wife killed and stealing mm-hmm. the daughter. Um, but he is like a very, he is an interesting villain. But then Captain Love is just the most despicable bastard with his blonde beard and he's so <laughs> awful and you just can't wait for Antonio Banderas to beat the shit out of him. And you get what you want by the end of this. Keeping heads in jars. Like, <laughs> it helps too that there's like a buildup where Antonio Banderas is playing, um, you know, playing this rich guy. So he kind of has to be among the bad guys and has to sit there and kind of take it. Yeah. Which I think, so he has to sit there and, you know, this guy's like, oh, check out this head. And then Tony Barrett has like no completely no sell it and kind of just walk out and be like, son of a bitch. Like, you know, he wants to kill him right there. But um, so it kind of makes the build of even better. He finally gets to actually kill them because he had to like sit amongst them and probably sit there and stew the whole time. Yeah. Because so, um, there's so much between him and Anthony Hopkins about, you know, controlling your anger and, you know, doing this and doing that, like trying to control your emotions and, um, I feel like that's a lot of intermediaries just trying to like keep it in check for a bit till he can just wail on these guys. And, and when he does, it's great. You love it. So do you know, and I, I never noticed this before, but I clocked it this time that it's an hour and a half into the movie before we get Antonio Banderas as like true fully formed Zorro. I did not realize that. Um, and it doesn't feel like it matters because the movie I think is so well-paced and everything is always entertaining that you don't even care that he's not in his full costume as the fully formed trained Zorro till 90 minutes in this like two hour, 15 minute movie. That is pretty crazy. So is, does he already do the thing where he goes and kind of like half Zorro costume where he has like a mask, but he's not yeah. all black. That's already happened. Okay. It's kind of um, like Tobey Maguire in like the sweatshirt and ski mask <laughs> in Spider-Man, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is still a very fun scene with those guys when he shows up in like the, the kind of, uh, halfway there Zorro costume. Yeah. I love the thing with the cannon, the, the yeah. gag. Um, it's like, there's so much fun to the fight scenes. Like there's such a, uh, like an air of, I don't, it's not pure comedy, but it's like this like lightness, which I really it's appreciate. adventure. It's adventure. Yeah. It's like, it's not like mean spirited necessarily, even at the end when they're like both fighting the guys that they really want to kill. It's still, it's still like a very, it all feels so like so much fun. You're like, this is a great time. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. I had, I did have a good time with it. My, my one nitpick is it is pretty well paced. I did think it felt a tad bit long, but then okay. I don't know what I would cut out. It's one of those situations where I'm like, well, it feels a little long, but I don't know what I would lose. Cause, um, I was like, well, I can't, I can't think of what you would cut out. Sometimes it's so clear. It's like, Oh, cut the sequence out of this, but this one, I, I don't know, but, um, a minor nitpick, one of my minor nitpicks that two or 15 minutes, but it's, I've, I've watched movies that are much shorter than this and felt much, much longer. So it's a very minor complaint. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. I, I came into this podcast kind of curious what your nitpicks would be. Um, Cause I know like most people don't think this is like a perfect masterpiece like I do. So I was curious, <laughs> but I do think that like one thing I can understand people saying is a flaw, although I could not give a shit um, <laughs> is that Antonio Banderas gets like perfectly trained really quickly. And he's such a schlub at the beginning and he's a drunk and he doesn't, he has no idea how to sword fight. I love it when Anthony Hopkins says, do you know how to use that thing? And he says, yes, the pointy end goes into the other man. (laughs) Fantastic, you know, but he is like such a schlub and it doesn't take long before he's able to perfectly sell 
being a nobleman. And then when he's sword fighting, he's like the best action hero sword fighter you've ever seen. And he's better than all these trained soldiers. Um, so I can like understand if somebody thinks that's an issue, but it's, it's not something I care about whatsoever. Uh, you know, what's funny. I had thought about that because I thought um, I was like, wait, did he get more trained than I realized? Like, did I, I was like, how long did this montage go on for of him getting training? Because he's really good. He's like the best, I would say. Um, and I, I was like, but again, a thing I kind of thought about, but it definitely it didn't bother me. I didn't sit there and, uh, and grumble about it and go, well, that doesn't make any sense. Like, <laughs> it just the thought crossed my mind. And I just kind of thought, um, you know, I was just like, oh, maybe there was, it was a longer chunk of time. They didn't show me. Um, I was almost more surprised he could pull off being like a, um, nobleman because he was such a, he was such a bum before. Yeah, <laughs> and he's like, so good at it. So good at it. Yeah. Um, he's, uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing how good he is at that. And another kind of, batman connections i feel like there's a lot of versions of bruce wayne where yeah he goes in and mingles amongst the you know the other rich people and <laughs> and you know he's kind of putting on a little bit of a show and i was like oh another batman thing um but i do <laughs> i do love when uh they have the dance number when he first meets elena and then her dad oh her dad air quotes comes up uh her stolen father uh comes up and he's like your daughter's a very spirited dancer <laughs> <laughs> he's like, oh, that's what you would call it up. Um, because he basically has watched them like really have a lot of sexual chemistry in front of everyone. It's a sex scene without sex. Yeah, <laughs> Very awkward for, for them. Um, but yeah, he uh I yeah, I thought about that, but that'd be a that'd be one of those things where if I hated the movie otherwise, I'd probably be mad about that because I'm loving the movie so much. I really don't care. I give it I give it a pass on that. Like um yeah. so. Yeah, not a not a problem for me. I'm trying to think. I mean, yeah, I thought it was a little bit long. Um, I don't know. I I don't really have that many other like complaints or nitpicks. I mean, I had a good time watching it. Um, the action scenes are pretty great. Like, um, especially at the end, that's like a real like showstopper. <laughs> like that almost felt like I'm watching. I mean, this is like a huge compliment, like a big stunt show at like a theme park. Oh, nice. <laughs> like, which I love in a movie. Like, I love even this like little stuff amongst that fight scene where he like uh throws uh love down like a like a little hill and then he takes that like shovel and kind of like <laughs> I don't know what's called snowboards down. I don't know how it's like he kind of like hangs onto a rope and then kind of goes down like this little fun bits like that. Like, um, so it feels like this big fun stunt show that i'm super into <laughs> like yeah and the stunt you're you're absolutely right the stunts are amazing but what i love so much about the climax is there is so much emotion in those fight scenes oh yeah and yeah. you care so much about everything that happens in them um and the action's great like i kind of feel like for my taste martin campbell's just like one of the best action guys out there just looking at this and casino royale because like i get more just like pump up from watching the action scenes in this and Casino Royale than even most action movies I see, even though I don't really know if they're technically so much better than a lot of other stuff. Um, but yeah, like all that aside, man, those fights are emotional. And like, that's what I really, really love. Right. Like they've built them up so well that um, when you get there, it's like, oh, this is a great payoff and you're super into it because it's like, this will be way for the whole, the whole movie. And they deliver too. It's like, because they could have dropped the ball, I guess, but they did not drop the ball. It's like they, it builds up to this for so long and it like completely, um, just completely nails it, I feel like. And I, yeah, I love that both fights are going on 
and both have emotional stakes then and we're super invested. Um, there's so much going on that, that last, like, you know, climax basically. And it's just so good. That was not a fair part of the movie was all the whole climax is just so amazing. Um, I was like, man, they just really went all out of this. And I really appreciate it. I'm like, this is where all the money went. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) The budget's on the screen. Um, I'm trying to think, okay, I have a question. Uh, I think I may have missed something. I'm watching the movie. Uh, Did Anthony Hopkins, I never saw him get, I thought I never saw him get wounded or hurt, but then they find him and he's dying. Did he get stabbed at some point? Did I miss this? Was it really quick? Like, I don't remember him getting injured. (laughs) Oh, shoot. Uh, I mean, I've, I've probably seen it happen, but now off the top of my head, I can't remember. I'm literally like scrolling on my phone for the Wikipedia summary real quick. Like, what happened to him? I, I looked and the Wikipedia summary says they, they find him wounded, but I'm like, like mortally wounded. But I'm like, when did that happen? Because I felt like he had the fight and I don't remember. There was, I don't remember a moment where you see a moment you see where the hero gets like stabbed or something, but he can keep fighting and he kills the other guy. Does he get shot? Cause Don Raphael pulls out a gun at the end of that fight and pulls it on Elena, which is a great moment. See, now I'm struggling. I remember I, uh, cause like, I haven't seen the movie nearly as much as you, I think. So I was like, Daniel will know for sure. Sorry to oh, put you on the man. spot, but um, <laughs> I don't. that's okay. That's okay. I think it might've been a thing that happened really quickly. And um, cause I was like, what do you die of exhaustion? What's going on? <laughs> like, um, I know he's older, but, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's not a big deal. I'm sure he got wounded and just was very quick, but, um, I, I knew, I knew that was where it was going. I was like, and I'd seen it before, but I was like, when, I think I thought he died much earlier in my memory in the movie. Like I thought he dies like halfway through Anthony Hopkins, but, um, no, makes all the way at the end has a great fight and, you know, blesses their marriage, which was a nice little final. <laughs> he's like, you know what? You guys get married. It's great. Um, you were the two sexiest people I've ever seen in my life. You need to make perfect babies. Get to it. <laughs> you got to get on that right away. I bless this marriage. Go ahead. Go nuts. <laughs> um, it's pretty great. Oh, you did bring up Martin Campbell, which was definitely a point I want to get to oh, yeah. about how good a director Martin Campbell is, even though he made Green Lantern. <laughs> it's like, nobody's perfect. I forgot about that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no, folks. But... Inside joke. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. If they listen to The Last Cobwebs, they know exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> um, Nobody's perfect, but I feel like his highs are so high. Like the fact that just the fact that he rebooted Bond twice with new James Bonds and they're both great Bond movies. Nailed it both times. Like nailed it, like completely nailed it. And then makes this movie, which is great. Um, Makes Vertical Limit, which is (laughs) a fun movie that's beloved by uh, our friend Hayden. Um, I think Mark likes it too, but I think it's more Hayden's movie. Um, (laughs) Then after... Casino Royale, which you think would like just set him up for anything. He makes like that Mel Gibson Edge of Darkness movie, which I don't think I've ever seen all of. He makes Green Lantern, which you know didn't go well. Um, he made the he made the Protege, which came out last year, which I thought was okay. He just made the new Liam Neeson movie Memory that like horrifically bombed, and I'm sure that means Liam Neeson is finally going direct to video. I can't believe it took him this long. Did it bomb that bad? I didn't even see what happened to it. Yeah, it didn't even open in the top five. Ooh, yeah, it uh, <laughs> it didn't even, it did not do well. Um, I almost saw that movie just because it was Marty Campbell, honestly. Like, I, I am so kind of done with those Liam Neeson old man action movies, but I was like, <laughs> eh, it's Martin Campbell. It was like, the premise sounds kind of interesting, but it, um, do you ever see The Foreigner with Jackie Chan? I never saw The Foreigner. 
No, it's funny. I'm looking at his filmography now and I realize I haven't seen a lot of them. So I, I do need to get to it because of the great ones I've seen, I really, really love them. So I need to give him more of a chance. Have you seen Vertical Limit? <laughs> no, I've been meaning to ever since your episode on it because man, that episode is entertaining. Oh, thank you. It's a, it's a very fun movie, I thought. Like it's, it's, it looks uh, up my alley. Like I like like simple adventurous, you know, movies like that. Oh yeah, I think it would be a pretty because it's definitely a fun adventure movie. There's great stakes. The nitro, you can't drop the nitro or it blows up. Uh, it's like, what a great device. Like you got to carry this dangerous substance on this mountain and it'll blow up if it's like shaking too much. <laughs> like the stakes could not be higher. Um, I've heard good things about The Foreigner um, with Jackie Chan, but I've never seen it. Um, yeah, I don't know. His highs are just so high though. And then some of the lows are kind of like, oh, but it's like, hey, listen, if your whole filmography was just GoldenEye, Casino Royale, and Mask of Zorro alone, I feel like, hey, you did good, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, he's, I mean, he's definitely a solid director. I I feel like sometimes he gets stuck with like products that aren't that great, but um, like I think Protégé was like, I think, I think the, I don't know, the budget was there. You probably need more money for that one, but um, it's fine. It's, it's competence, I feel like. And uh, that's kind of um, how it looked to me. That's why yeah. I never got around to it. It was a red box movie for me. And that's how it was meant to be seen. I think <laughs> like really felt like you belong in the red box Protégé, <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Like, I feel like, uh, he has these like big hits and things that do really well. And then sometimes he kind of, uh, they, it falters a little bit. So I don't know, but, um, and he's getting kind of up there. So I don't know how much longer he's going to be directing for, because I think he was probably born in 43. So he's not a, a young guy at this point, but <laughs> no spring um, chicken. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry. So, that's okay. <laughs> um, he, yeah, I mean, he's a very good action director. I think just, um, just from the, like, I mean, just from a few things I've seen, I'm like, yeah, he, he nails it usually. So uh, he does great with this. He was the right choice. I think you're right about him versus Rodriguez. Cause I, 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 he's my boy, Robert Rodriguez. He's definitely one of my guys, but I don't know what his movie, his or would look like, especially if you pitch an R-rated version. So I'm like the Martin Campbell version is kind of exactly what I want from a fun adventure you know, movie, like a Zora movie. <laughs> like I was like, yeah, this is exactly the tone is right. Uh, it's, it's really well shot. I was like, man, this movie looks really good. Like um, he's, I think he was like the, the right guy for this job. I think so. Totally agree. Yeah. It's, it is exactly what a Zorro movie should be. And, and of all those like swashbuckler reboots and the, like you mentioned the, the serials heroes or the radio heroes, all those movies that were coming out in the nineties, I think Zorro's the best. It's my personal favorite for sure. I think it's the most successful. It's got the best performances. It's got the coolest action scenes. It's got the best fun, adventurous vibe, best romance out of all those. Man, I love it. Definitely one of my favorite <laughs> movies. Uh, well, I love that you love it so much. That's great. I'm glad we got to talk about it. I'm trying to think, I was going to say, it's funny because you mentioned all those 90s like hero adventure movies. And I'm like, I have such a fondness for like the other ones. Like I, I will say this is better than, the shadow and the phantom even i love those movies too but i the ones i'm kind of saying is it i like i love the rocketeer and i love dick tracy um and i feel like i have more nostalgia for those this might be a technically a better movie but i feel like i can't separate myself from my like childhood love for dick tracy and rocketeer <laughs> sure so, yeah um but this is i mean just such a great well-made movie and like especially I don't want to pick on anything in particular, but if you've been watching a bunch of like 
big kind of CGI type things. And this is such like a breath of fresh air because so much, like we said, it was done just practically and actual stuntmen doing stunts and uh, actors doing the sword fights and like um, shot in actual locations. Like, I, you know, this is stuff I love. So it doesn't really get much better than this from that perspective, honestly. So um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to cut you off too soon if you have more stuff to say about Mask of Zorro. Um, any other points you want to like definitely hit on before we wrap up or anything? Um, well, I will just say that uh, I, I, when we, when we couldn't remember what happened to Anthony Hopkins, I, I've, I've had the movie on this whole time on, oh. <laughs> on mute. And I fast forwarded to that part, just kind of like kind of half looking for it while we're talking. And it, I think he died from exhaustion. Oh, <laughs> I don't okay. think anything happened, which at his age isn't crazy. Yeah. Like he went 65. pretty hard in that fight. It was probably hot out too. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> anything can get you when you're that old. Uh, so he went really hard in that sword fight. So, Hey, at least he got the guy. Um, that is interesting. They just, I'm surprised that it's more dramatic though. I feel like to have him get shot or stabbed and then die. from Definitely. That. So that's weird to be like, oh, you know what guys, I'm tired. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm peacing out here. Get, get married. See crazy kids. Uh, so, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I feel like we hit on everything I wanted to bring up. Um, well, I will oh, say, oh, yes, oh sorry. Do you want to go first? No, you can go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, I love how this movie ends. And it made me think how more superhero movies, because this is, you know, a little bit of a superhero movie. It influences superhero. Yeah. The character influences superhero movies, at least. More of them should end with the hero getting married and having a baby. Because I just watched Doctor Strange and it's like all about how miserable superheroes are because they don't get married and they don't have kids. And I'm like, why can't more of them just be happy? Like this movie ends with Zorro. He's got a family. He has love in his life and he's going to be Zorro. Like he's got it all. He's happy. And like in Doctor Strange, like the whole movie, he's just wondering like, oh, am I happy? I'm losing the girl I love. And like, you know, he never really gets happy in that movie. Like superhero <laughs> movies, superheroes are never allowed to have happy endings like they're either unhappy or they die and i i don't know man it's kind of a bummer yeah it's weird because as you were saying that i was like i think I, someone brought up like what's the point of the arc in dr strange is it like to be happy what's the like what like to i don't find think happiness? there is an arc in that movie yeah that's just me you know to each their own fair enough um the only hero at the top of my head who has like a family in the mcu who seems happy is hawkeye <laughs> like yeah he's the only guy that gets to like just retire and has a wife and like three kids, I think two or three kids. And like, just that's the only way everyone else is like their family dies or they're alone or they're <laughs> miserable. I'm like, they, you know, I mean, Spider-Man always has like people that he loves, but I feel like they always put them in danger. I kind of like that. Like it, Hawkeye is a family, but they're just kind of like, they're just back home. This is like, he's doing his job. And he's on the road. I guess you could say he's off a lot and his family just is not they're at home. And that's fine. Like, why can't more families have heroes or just, or yeah, why can't more heroes have families are just like off somewhere? It's very weird. Like, um, I don't know. I, I don't know. That's a good point. Like, why can't heroes be happy? You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm all I'm all for my favorite heroes being happy, having love in their lives. I don't know why Hollywood's so against this, but at least the Mask of Zorro isn't. <laughs> that's true. That's nice of them. Uh, oh, what I was going to ask you before that was. Um, because Spielberg almost, would you be interested in a Spielberg mask as or? I've almost felt it's kind of like a, well, <laughs> like a dub, but um, I, I, I feel like that would actually look pretty close to what we got from Martin Campbell. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Like, um, you know, like Spielberg, he probably did make like the, uh, the ultimate adventure movie, which is Raiders of the Lost Ark. So 
it's easy to say he's the best at this, even though like my heart, my heart just belongs to Zorro, like over most movies like it. So I'm even a Zorro (laughs) guy over an Indiana Jones guy, but that's just me. Um, I, but yeah, I mean, Spielberg is, he's great at that kind of thing if he's interested in doing it, but I don't know that he's really interested in stuff like this anymore. I'm not sure. He's, he definitely hasn't done it in a long time, at least. I don't know. He's going to make that bullet movie. So he's, (laughs) yeah, I know. I think he's interested. I don't know what he's, I feel like now he's just doing, he's like in his fuck it period where he's like, <laughs> he's like, I want to make a musical because I remake, you know, I'm going to make a uh, bullet because I want to remake bullet. Cause just everyone's like, why? And he's like, I feel like he's like, cause I want to, you know? So um, it's funny. Cause I was thinking about this period again of nineties movies. And I feel like a lot of them are trying to chase the high of the Indiana Jones movies. Oh, probably. Cause like Raiders uh, last crusade was 89, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was, I was thinking of Raiders, but they I, Last Crusade was so much later that they aren't that far behind chasing that movie. So it's like the Phantom, especially I feel like is really trying to be like Indiana Jones. And uh, yeah, there's like that feel of like, we're trying to get that kind of kind of thing, like the, the serials and all that kind of stuff. So it's interesting. Um, I feel like I had one more thought, but I think I forgot it. But uh, anything else on Masks of before we wrap up? I don't think so. I mean, I could go off on a list of like, I love this scene. I love this scene, but you can just assume I love every scene because I do. (laughs) But uh, thank you so much for, you know, letting me come on and just do nothing but gush about a movie. That's fine. I love people do that. People sometimes come on and they, a movie they love and they're like, oh, I talk too much. Like you can never talk too much. It's fine. (laughs) Like I kind of love, even though I host a show, just like getting to like kind of sit in like the the pastor seat and you just drive the movie you love this movie you just go so i love that you love this movie so much and it, it, i i think i appreciate even more you know like the more i think about it i'm like i need to watch that movie way more often because i said like i said i'm watching like maybe 15 years maybe longer so i was like i gotta i gotta pull this out more often <laughs> like what am i what am i doing um because it's so much fun so i had a great time talking about it so i'm glad we got to do this so um so yeah, this was a ton of fun. So um, I guess I will let you uh, just, if you want to unplug all your stuff, people can find you and, and podcast and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the podcast is the Cobwebs podcast. You can find it on any uh, podcast app. We talk about old movies over there. Our most recent episode was with Matt and Anthony King from Cult Movies, where we recommended a bunch of movies in Kino Lorber's, ca- Lorber's catalog. And uh, we're doing a couple of, ep- of Westerns episodes soon, back to back. And then I'm doing my next big like series in June. And I think it's a really, really fun one. We've got a bunch of cool guests coming on for that one. So, so yeah, I, I'm really excited about stuff coming up on cobwebs uh, and you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at cobwebs pod. And if you like, you can follow me on Twitter at Epler Daniel. All great stuff. I had a ton of fun doing that, that keynote episode with you and Anthony. Uh, we got that great revelation from Anthony <laughs> that blew us, that blew us away. It's um, the best tangent ever on my podcast for sure. <laughs> Oh, maybe those are so much fun. And uh, I had a blast. And uh, I I feel like I never really do this. I usually don't know what's happening, but I feel like I'm going to tease some stuff up on this show because we're kind of current right now. Usually I'm banking stuff, but like we're doing stuff as it's happening. Um, next week um, is going to be the next uh, volume on Scottable and Domino and Rosalie Lewis coming back. And I will tease, we have a very special surprise guest on that one. Who I'm very excited about, <laughs> um, who's never been on the show before. Um, Kira Knightley. <laughs> I knew that was going to be the joke. Uh, and someone's going to be like, you got Kira Knightley. Like, uh, no, no, not, not quite that level of celebrity. But <laughs> I think 
a celebrity to some people if I don't want to say too much, but uh, <laughs> I think this person is kind of beloved. So I think uh, people will be happy that they're on the podcast. Um, and I have a big like special episode come up at the end of the month with another special first time guest and June you'll be back pretty soon because we're going to start doing, we talked about a bunch of episode June. I have a whole series planned out of the like nineties retro hero fad. So it's like Dick Tracy, Rocketeer, um, Phantom and Shadow are coming up in June. So, and you'll be back for Dick Tracy. So I'm very excited. Um, yeah, man, kind of a, sim- kind of a similar episode there, but I'm pumped. <laughs> it's true. That movie, I feel like, I don't know how much you love Dick Tracy, but that movie is like a movie that I've lived with since I was like a toddler. I feel like, like there's a picture of me in like preschool in a Dick Tracy shirt. And like, so I like five star, like love Dick Tracy so much. So that might be my turn to go, go nuts, but I don't know how much you love Dick Tracy, but, um, but I'm sure it'll be fun to talk about. It's a very fun movie. Um, that's a very fun month. So lots of exciting stuff coming up on this show. So I'm very excited. Um, and so you can follow me on Twitter at Maplet87. Um, you can follow um, the podcast at Film Feast Pod on Twitter. Um, you can follow me and the podcast on Instagram at Film Feast, all one word. Um, and, and that's it. So thank you guys for listening and we'll talk to you next time. Bye everybody.